0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, and our thank you gift when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and the conclusion of his last message in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, about true love. I
1: was listening to one of the uh, family programs. A gentleman was talking about a pornography addiction that he had for years, and he was a Christian, and he was very open with his wife about the pornography addiction. So he would fall to it, and he was falling regularly to it, and he would confess it to his wife, and he'd he'd be tearful and broken, and he'd cry about it. And this went on for years. And he had a mentor, somebody who was discipling him, pouring into his life. And finally, one day, he said to his mentor, I fell again, and uh," and he started blubbering, and his mentor looked at him and said, do you know why you keep falling to pornography? He said, yeah, I want to know. Tell me, why do I keep falling to pornography? He goes, because you love your sin. The man said that he was just wiped out by the comment. And then he started thinking about it, and he said, you're right, that's why I keep falling to pornography. Yes, I. he said, yes, you go through this repentance in quotes and you cry and you apologize to your wife and you go through all that. But, but you go through all that for a false reason because you love your sin. That's why you keep going back to it. Stop. And the man was confronted with the reality that he had elevated his sin above everything else. And then he did all the other accoutrements that a Christian would do, like be repentant. And I'm not saying those are wrong things, but he had done it in such a pattern for so many times that those very things became his excuse. And finally, a man called him on the carpet and said, you love your sin. That's your problem. And the man had to truly repent. Because he had elevated his sin above his God, above his wife. Love finds its satisfaction in the welfare of others. Love does not merely not seek that which does not belong to it. It is prepared to give up for the sake of others even what it's entitled to. It's my right! I should be able to do this! Yes, you should. But does that mean that you have to? Does that mean that you have to demand your right? This is a supposed true story from the time of Oliver Cromwell in England. A young soldier has been tried in military court, sentenced to death. He was to be shot at the ringing of the curfew bell. His fiancée climbed up the bell tower several hours before curfew time, tied herself to the bell's huge clapper. At cur- curfew time, when only muted sounds came out of the bell tower, Cromwell demanded to know why the bell was not ringing. His soldiers went to investigate and found the young woman uh, cut and bleeding from being knocked back and forth against the great bell. They brought her down, and the story goes that Cromwell was so impressed with her willingness to suffer in this way on behalf of someone she loved that he dismissed the soldier saying, Curfew shall not ring tonight. And Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard others as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, we have these little bumper stickers, and maybe they're from days past. Attitude is everything. Yes, it is. And when I choose to love, I say to God, it's not about me anymore. It's about that other person. A cold wind was howling. A chilling rain was beating down when suddenly the telephone rang in the home of a doctor. The caller said, doctor, it's my wife. She needs urgent medical attention. The doctor was understanding. He said, I'll be glad to come, but my car is being repaired. He said, could you come and get me? There was an indignant voice on the other side of the phone and the man angrily answered, what, in this weather? Doc, can you come to my house? I don't mind if you drive your car in this inclement weather. Oh, you need me to pick you up? Oh, that's different. See, love will be inconvenienced. And if you're going to love in this way, You're going to be inconvenienced. I'm sure you've noticed. How many of you have just been trying a little bit more in the last couple weeks? Come on, anybody? None of you are even trying? Okay, Lord, I heard the characteristics of love. Okay, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. And then (laughs) that driver in front of you, that person at work, your spouse, and all of a sudden you're tested because love is patient and kind. When situations call for being impatient and unkind, that's when you're going to need it. Love is not easily angered. Keep reading with me. We're going to try to get all the way down to verse 7. It is not provoked. Love, you could translate it this way, is not cantankerous. (laughs) Love, ESV, is not irritable. Oh. You ever had one of those weeks where just everything irritates you? You're like, that irritates me. That person irritates me. You irritate me. And you're looking in the mirror. <laughs> What's up with that? Irritable. I need my coffee. I need an injection of coffee. It's a passive verb. It means to be irritated, or go into fits of anger. How many of you have ever been in a store and you've watched a mom, she's got three kids, and one of the kids doesn't get the candy bar and like, now I've heard stories like this. In fact, some of them were my children, but we won't go there. It was back in the day. And there's two reactions you can have. You can stand by and go, sheesh, do something with that kid, would you please? Or you could say, hey, I I understand, it's okay, this kind of stuff happens, right? Because it's easy to be irritated until you're the person with the kid on the floor. And there's cameras in the store and you can't beat them publicly like you'd like to. (laughs) Can I get a witness? Yeah, just wait. That's when the Italian vein comes out. Just wait till we get home. Ah. One writer says, Love is hard to offend and quick to forgive. To be irritable means to make sharp or to sharpen. Literally, to be near the point of the knife, not far from being poked, from the love dare. People who are irritable are locked and loaded and ready to overreact. They are easily carried away. Being easily angered is an indicator that a hidden, there's a hidden selfishness or insecurity that's present, where love is supposed to rule. What causes somebody to be irritable and cranky? It could be stress. It could be that you find yourself consistently uh, taking it out on others. But what should you do? Well, you might need some quiet time. You You might need to loosen up your schedule. You might need to build in some Sabbath. If you are irritable, others will surely back away from you. The solution is to be under the influence of love. When love enters your heart, it calms you down and inspires you to quit focusing on yourself. It loosens your grasp and helps you to let go of unnecessary things. It helps others around you not feel like they're walking on eggshells every time you enter the room or they enter a room that you're in. You do not want people that you love, folks, feeling like they're walking on eggshells around you. It's not right. That they don't know one thing, one little thing that they might say because you're already locked and loaded and you're all ready to go off. The Lord is compassionate and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in loving kindness. How about us? You guys have heard heard when you're angry, you're supposed to count to 10 before you say anything. Anybody ever done that before? You get angry, one, two, three. One writer says it'll give you more time to come up with the right insult if you count to 10. (laughs) the greek verb means to stir somebody to anger love doesn't walk around with a chip on its shoulder it's not seething with red hot temper ready to release be released when you push the wrong button here's john macarthur telling our wives or husbands that we love them is not convincing if we continually get upset and angry at what they do and say Telling our children that we love them is not convincing if we often yell at them for doing things that irritate us or interfere with our own plans. It does no good to protest. I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few minutes. So so is a nuclear bomb, says MacArthur. (laughs) A great deal of damage can be done in a very short time. Temper is always destructive. And even a small temper, small temper bombs can leave Much hurt and damage, especially when they explode on a regular basis. Lovelessness is the cause of temper. And love, it's only cure. Close quote. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Outbursts of wrath are a fruit of the flesh. It's not hard to see which one's in control when we act this way. And love, notice, does not take into account, end of five, a wrong suffered. Now we're going to move Rather quickly here, but I'm going to spend a little time on this one. Love keeps no record of wrongs, NIV. Literally, love does not reckon the evil. Love, ESV, is not resentful. Now, listen to this. Take into account is a bookkeeping term that means to calculate or reckon, as when figuring an entry in a ledger. The purpose of the entry is to make a permanent record that can be consulted whenever needed. In business, that practice is necessary. But in personal matters, it is not only unnecessary, but it's harmful. Keeping track of things done against us is a sure way to unhappiness. Our own and that of those who we keep records. The image of keeping records of wrongs with a view to paying back the injury is the picture. Paul uses the verb in referring to God not counting our sins against us. Love does not take an inventory or keep a tally of wrongs suffered. It doesn't keep bringing them up over and over again.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
1: Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app.
0: Now... Back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
1: It's not seething with red-hot temper, ready to release, be released when you push the wrong button. Here's John MacArthur. Telling our wives or husbands that we love them is not convincing if we continually get upset and angry at what they do and say. Telling our children that we love them is not convincing if we often yell at them for doing things that irritate us or interfere with our own plans. It does no good to protest. I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few minutes. So so is a nuclear bomb, says MacArthur. <laughs> a great deal of damage can be done in a very short time. Temper is always destructive. And even a small temper, small temper bombs can leave much hurt and damage, especially when they explode on a regular basis. Lovelessness is the cause of temper and love it's only cure. Close quote. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Outbursts of wrath are a fruit of the flesh. It's not hard to see which one's in control when we act this way. And love, notice, does not take into account, end of five, a wrong suffered. Now we're going to move rather quickly here, but I'm going to spend a little time on this one. Love keeps no record of wrongs, NIV. Literally, Love does not reckon the evil. Love, ESV, is not resentful. Now, listen to this. Take into account is a bookkeeping term that means to calculate or reckon, as when figuring an entry in a ledger. The purpose of the entry is to make a permanent record that can be consulted whenever needed. In business, that practice is necessary. But in personal matters, it is not only unnecessary, but it's harmful. Keeping track of things done against us is a sure way to unhappiness. Our own and that of those who we keep records. The image of keeping records of wrongs with a view to paying back the injury is the picture. Paul uses the verb in referring to God not counting our sins against us. Love does not take an inventory or keep a tally of wrongs suffered. It doesn't keep bringing them up over and over again. One writer describes this as an absolute forgetfulness, as if the marks of a stylus vanished from a wax tablet. In fact, earlier Paul says, as you guys are taking each other to court, why don't you just suffer the wrong instead? Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And sometimes I have to pray, Father, forgive me. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing when I brought that thing up from five years ago. When I reached back into the bag of the old hurts and wounds, I said I had buried it, but I left the handle of the hatchet sticking out of the ground just in case. Right? Yes, I forgive you, but just in case, I'll keep a record. One writer tells of a tribe in Polynesia where it was customary for each man to keep some reminders of his hatred for others. These reminders were suspended from the roofs of their huts to keep alive the memory of the wrongs, real or imagined. Each time you walk by the thing hanging, oh yeah, that's right. One day, they'll get theirs. Simply put, love forgives. Listen to this, this is important. Forgiveness does not dissolve anyone of blame or clear their record before God. It just clears you of having to worry about how to punish them. When you forgive another person, you're not declaring them innocent. You're just turning them over to God, who can be counted on to deal with them in His way. You're saving yourself the trouble of scripting any more arguments or trying to prevail in the situation. It's about freedom. It's about letting go. Literally, the word forgive means to release it. Let it go. It means to extend mercy and grace that you've been given. You forgive as the Lord forgave you. You don't reach into the record. You don't pull it out of the file. You don't call it up on your computer. You say, that's over. It's done. It's buried in the sea of forgetfulness. I'm not going to go there again. And you're going to have to fight the temptation to go there. Yeah, but in 2002, you remember when you took the last cookie? And you denied it, but there was a cookie crumbs on your face. Right? But you said you forgave me of that. I did. (sighs) Sort of. Right? If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sins, O Lord, who could stand? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. Aren't you glad that there's only one thought in verse 6? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness or wrongdoing. Love does not delight in evil, NIV. It rejoices with the truth. Quick story. My son was in his room, one of my sons, in high school. And there's a um, debate going on about gay marriage. And much of the class is just saying, it's okay. We should just let this go. And there's a debate going on on social media, and so uh, this this gal, well-meaning gal, I know there's a there's a lot of uh, questions that are arising around these things. But so she quotes First Corinthians 13: Love is patient, love is kind. And in her debate of trying to defend gay marriage, so one of my sons comes to me and says, "What do I do with this?" She's quoting the Bible. And I said, tell her to keep reading. Because love does not rejoice in wrong. It rejoices, what? In the truth. If you have been sold the bill of goods from this culture, that everything that people do, we just have to love them. We just have to love. That's not a full definition of love. Love doesn't say to everybody, oh, you're okay, I'm okay, despite what the Bible clearly teaches. Love will say, no, it's wrong, and I will love you despite what you're going through and the struggle, but I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear when the Bible says the opposite. Anybody? This is where we're at today. Love cannot rejoice in wrong. It can't because it knows that the wrong is not good for that person. If you truly love that person, you'd be willing to risk maybe saying something uncomfortable to them because you truly love them. Enough with the nonsense that, oh, we just gotta love everybody, so we never tell anybody the truth. No, we speak the truth in love. I'm glad people spoke the truth in love to me in my life when I was off doing all the wrong things. Are you with me? There's a way to do it. But you don't just tell everybody they're okay when they're doing something destructive. That's not love. Love does not rejoice in wrong. But love will say, hey, I will walk with you. I will try to lead you to the right. I will help you. Yes, I've been there. I've made my own mistakes. But I will not suppress the truth to please the culture or be politically correct. That's not love. But love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love endures all things. NIV, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Note, if you have the NIV, notice the word always. It's "panta." This is what love continually does. It doesn't say, I did this yesterday, so I'm good. Love is a lifestyle. It keeps going. It keeps protecting. It keeps trusting. It's not naive. It's not gullible. But it says, I'm going to hang in there with you as long as you want me to. I will be here. Because God is its source. William Gladstone, a prime minister of England in the 19th century, one night was working late on an important speech. He was to give in the House of Commons the next day. About two o'clock in the morning, a woman knocked on his door, asking the servant if Mr. Gladstone would come and comfort a young crippled son who lay dying in his tenement not far away. Without hesitation, the busy man set his speech aside and went. He spent the rest of the night with the boy, comforting him and leading him to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The boy died about dawn. Gladstone returned home. He told a friend later this morning, I'm the happiest man in the world today. The true greatness of Gladstone was not in his political position or attainments, but in his great love, a love that would risk his political future to show the love of Christ to a young boy who was dying. As it turned out that morning, he also made what some historians claim was the greatest speech of his life. He gained that victory too because he had been willing to lose it for the sake of a greater victory, that of love. I found the same truth in my life. Each time I've defaulted to love, even if I had a busy schedule or I had to do this or that or what about my sermon or what about this, God's always given me what I needed to accomplish both. And many times I have failed. Many times my priorities haven't been heavens. But I'm a work in progress. I want to set aside petty things, divisive things, things that mean very little or nothing. Those things must die. How much time have we wasted on those things? I ask you. They have to die. Love will choose the best. Final thought from the love dare. In the deep and private corridors of your heart, there's a room. It's called the appreciation room. The more time you spend meditating on these positive attributes about your spouse here, the more grateful you are for your mate, your friends, family, coworkers. Down another dark, darker corridor of your heart lies the depreciation room. The more time you spend in this room, the more you devalue your spouse. The only reason you should glance in the door of the, the depreciation room is to know how to pray for your spouse. You should spend the, the bulk of your time or all of your time in the appreciation room. And finally, for this sermon, love never fails. When defined this way, how could it? Love never gives up. Love never fails because God is love and he won't fail. He will continue to be patient with you and kind. Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'm not gonna give up on you. Some of you may feel like you wanna give up on yourself or you wanna give up on your spouse or you wanna give up on this relationship or give up on that. And and I would just say to you, don't quit. Don't quit on yourself. Don't quit on others. Ask God to help you with this kind of love.
0: You're listening to True Love 3, Part 3 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through seven. Remember, our goal is to equip you so that you have an answer for your faith in Jesus Christ. Are friends or family or coworkers asking you questions about Christianity? Are they questions that you're having a hard time answering? Well, we'd love to help with those answers. Email your questions to the address answers at walkintruth.com. And Pastor Michael will answer your question using the Word of God. Again, the email is answers at walkintruth.com. Or you can write us a letter, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Again, our mailing address is P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. And we look forward to hearing from you. Tune in tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 through 13 called when the perfect comes i'm mike massaro thanks for listening to walk in truth our goal is to equip you to reach out with god's truth to all people